Father, uh, the purpose of this morning is to share the core of why we're so thankful. And we are thankful for many reasons, of the, especially of the provisions that you provided for us in our everyday lives. But the core reason for our thanksgiving towards you is because you have delivered us. You have delivered us from darkness into light. You have delivered us from death into eternal life. You have delivered us from ignorance of you to the children of you. We are saved people, and that is why our hearts will forever be thankful for you. May the saving work, may the delivering work of Jesus Christ be made real in our hearts. So may, your, may that conviction of your deliverance, Lord, open our eyes to see you more clearly. All these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're taking a break on the Sermon on the Mount series. Uh, and because this is Thanksgiving, right? We're going to talk about Thanksgiving stuff, right? And so I think Thanksgiving, I really like Thanksgiving. Ever since I was a kid, I think Thanksgiving was my favorite holiday, right? Um, it, maybe because I like turkey or something. But the idea of family getting together and sharing a meal is a wonderful, wonderful thing. I love Thanksgiving. And so as Christians, we've got to think about, you know, what, what, what we're so thankful for, Right? And I would imagine, I don't know about your tradition, but my family, I think my, my family at least, like, we'll go around in a circle and we'll, you know, t- share what we're thankful for that year, right? Thankful for this, thankful for that, thankful for health and all that stuff. And that's a good thing, being remind, remembering what God has done for us and expressing and sharing that with your family members, it's a good thing, right? I don't know whether you guys do it, but we do it. But the, but, but the issue is this. You don't have to be thankful. You don't, I'm sorry, you don't have to be a Christian to be thankful, right? I would imagine there, are, there will be millions of homes in America this Thursday who are not Christians and who will do what, 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 what exactly I will do with my kids. We'll go around sharing what good fortune that they had this year. I'm thankful for my job, right? I'm thankful for my health. I'm thankful for, I don't know, getting into college. I'm thankful for the new car. I'm thankful for, and they will give laundry list of all the things, all the benefits, all the good things that they have received this year, and they will be thankful. But you don't have to be a Christian to have that kind of thanksgiving. There is an underlying difference between our thanksgiving and the thanksgiving lifted up to the unbelievers. I'm not saying we shouldn't be thankful for what we have. We definitely should, right? We definitely should. I'm thankful for the Peloton this year. I am so thankful for it. But there has to be an underlying difference between the unbeliever's thanksgiving and the believer's thanksgiving. The core of a believer's thanksgiving is deliverance. We are thankful more than anything else because we have been delivered, as I prayed, from the kingdom of darkness and death into the kingdom of eternal, eternal life, into the kingdom of God. The fact that we were once slaves to sin, the fact that we were once slaves to confusion and insanity, and the fact that God has made us his and instilled his son into our lives, instilled his spirit into our lives, that is such an amazing thing. It is a deliverance. Deliverance is the key to the heart of a Christian. And you can see this, right? In the Old Testament, 
to the Jews, the core reason why they're, why they're thankful to the Lord is because the Lord has delivered them from the hands of Egypt. Right? I don't know whether you know, I don't know whether a lot of, of you were raised in the church, but the nation of Israel was God's chosen people. And for 400 years, they were enslaved, they were slaves to the kingdom of Egypt. And God sent Moses to them to deliver those, to deliver his people out of slavery. And that is then, God delivering them out of Egypt was the basis of their national identity, was the basis of their praise. That God delivered them from Egypt. Even now, that's what they celebrate, isn't it? What's the, what's the most important Jewish holiday? It's not Rosh Hashanah, is it? What is it? Passover. Passover, that's what they're, even now, that's what they're celebrating. Passover, the fact that the Lord delivered them out of the, out of the hands of Egypt. That delivery of Egypt is a foreshadowing of the delivery of Christ. And for the Christian, we are so thankful, like I said before, that Christ has delivered us out of the spirit of dominion of sin and death into, the, into his kingdom. And you can see this in Paul's writing everywhere in the New Testament. Paul gives thanks to God for all out of the churches, churches in Thessalonica, churches in Ephesus, churches in Colossae. And all of all the things that God, Paul is thankful for is the fact that God has saved those unbelieving people in those cities and he made them into his children. Paul is saying, I am so thankful for God for making you guys listen to the gospel and converting you so that you will be the child of God. The basis of Paul's thanksgiving is a conversion of unbelievers. Not only that, in his personal life, Paul, right, Paul did a lot for the Lord. Paul devoted his entire life to the Lord. He got beaten up because he was in prison. He was framed, right? Stones were thrown at him. He was left for dead. And he was ultimately executed. He did a lot for the Lord. But you know what the underlying nucleus heart of Paul's ministry was? Paul could never get over the fact that Jesus Christ forgave him. Paul calls himself the chief of sinners. Paul can never give over the fact that though he was a persecutor of the church, Jesus Christ appeared to him and forgave him and made him his apostle. That deliverance is the motive for Paul's ministry. The deliverance is a heart of thanksgiving for the Christian. If you don't know his deliver, deliverance, if you, don't personally, if you haven't personally experienced his deliverance, I am so sorry to say, you will never experience this kind of thanksgiving. I had a conversation with you know, a new friend of mine. Right? Yay, God gave you a new friend. I love friends. Right? And like, like, you know, and, um, and, he said he, and he said he was a Christian. I, go, oh, I love Christians. My favorite type of people. Right? And then we had a conversation going. And it discovered, I discovered quickly that he's not my type of Christian. Right? He's a, he's a liberal Christian. And we were talking about it. And he says, yeah, I don't believe in hell. I go, what? I don't believe in hell. I go, okay. Then I said, then may I ask, you know, in the very non-judgmental, HR-friendly way, right? If you don't believe in hell, why did Christ die? I said, okay, before that, I said, 
then do you believe in the historicity of the resurrection? Do you actually believe Jesus Christ rose, died and rose again? He said, yeah. And I said, then why did he die? Why did he have to die? Why did he have to go to the cross, I asked. And he said, oh, it's because through that, through that cross, God is demonstrating how much he loves us. The whole cross was about, as an example to humanity, God showing an example to humanity how much he loves us. And I go, okay, thank you. And I left. I like him, I suppose. But he will never be thankful in the way that the Bible calls us to be thankful because he doesn't believe in the deliverance of Jesus. He doesn't believe original sin. He does not. He just says the cross is an example of God's love. He doesn't believe that we have to be delivered. Because he doesn't believe that we have to be delivered, he will not experience the thanksgiving that Paul has experienced in his life. How much is your heart full of thanksgiving? How much are you really thankful for the Lord? If you're lacking thanksgiving, perhaps it is because you have forgotten or you have, no, you have never experienced his delivering power over your life. You can be a Christian for so, you can go to church for so long and never experience this deliverance. My friend, he was raised in the church. He's 30-some-odd years old. But he has never experienced the deliverance of Jesus Christ. Deliverance is the heart of today's psalm. Psalm 40 is David's prayer about deliverance. Right? So what is happening to David in Psalm 40? We don't, we don't exactly know what events transpired this, but David is in a very bad shape. David says, I waited patiently for the Lord. The word patiently means long-suffering. There's something, that, there's something about David, what David is going through, that has caused him long-suffering, long, deep pain. And this is very interesting, right? Because... As good old Ricky told me last week, Ricky is my personal Wikipedia, by the way, right? He's a personal Bible Wikipedia. As Ricky told me last week, do you know David was the richest guy in the world? I go, really? Yeah. And so I had to look it up, right? You know, I don't trust my sources, so I gotta go look it up. And it's true. Like, the Bible, like, David had, David's, like, hard assets was, like, it was comprised of 5,000 tons of gold. 5,000 tons of gold. You know how much 5,000 tons of gold is? Right now, in the world, there is one place that has the most gold in the entire world. You know where that is? America, baby. USA, right? In America, called Fort Knox. Have you heard of Fort Knox? It is the largest repository of gold in the, history, in, in the world right now. In Fort Knox, there's, a, there's only 4,000, 4,600 tons of gold. 4,600. There's only 4,600 tons of gold in Fort Knox. The largest gold deposit in the world only has 4,600 tons. David, 3,000 years ago, had 400 tons more than that. 
It says that he had half the world's gold. Do you know that? And back in the day, gold was the, you know, the currency, the hard assets that determined wealth. Right? It was gold. He means that he had half of the world's like, treasurable assets. So if you convert that to today's terms, right? They say, if you, if you like, summarize, if you like, take all the you know, hard assets, wealth in the world, all the assets combined in the world, they say, is worth $250 trillion, right? right? Besides the stock and bonds thing, which isn't real, it's just expectations, right? If you take the hard, measurable assets in the world, the, the gold and everything, it, it is the, they say that the world currently has $250 trillion of hard assets. David had half of that 3,000 years ago, which means David's worth was $125 trillion. That's 125 Googles. That's 125 Amazons. That's 125, like, like what, what else? You know, whatever, right? It's, it's like, he, ha, he is the richest man in the history of the world. And yet Psalm 40, he's in bad shape. He says, I feel like I'm in a destructive pit. He says, I feel like I'm stuck, I'm falling. Lesson number one, kids. No matter what you have, no matter what you achieve, no matter what you think you may need in this world, these things will not exempt you from pain, from sorrow. Your mommy and daddy tells you, be a doctor, be a lawyer, be an engineer. An accountant maybe, right? Why? Because they believe doctors, engineers, accountants, lawyers will somehow kind of shield you from the misery of life. To a certain extent, material possessions will kind of comfort you a little bit. But they will not shield you from deep pain. Life-altering pain. What an uplifting sermon for a Thanksgiving sermon, eh? Half, $125 trillion did not exempt David from writing Psalm 40. David is in such pain David says all he could do was wait and cry before the Lord. All he could do was wait and cry. $125 trillion didn't, didn't mean anything. One million troops under his command didn't mean anything. He felt as if he was in the, in the destructive pit. He felt that he was in a mar... What is it? What is what? I prepare my sermon with an NIV. NIV says, miry clay. Is it miry clay? Miry bog? What does that mean? What does David mean when he says, I feel like I'm in a destructive pit? The word destruction here, according to John Piper, right? Because, you know, that's my source. It's a state, the word destruction means it's like a storm. It describes a storm. Right? A storm, a violent storm. 
one by sea, right? Like it's like waves violently crashing against the shore. It is gloomy and dark, violent thunderstorms happening. Everything is chaos. That's what destruction means. Pit means a long well, right? Have you fell, fell off, fell in a well? Like Bruce Wayne fell in the well? That's where Sean Star. You know what I mean? When you fall in a well, a deep well, light does not go into that well. So David, when David says, I feel like I'm in a destructive pit, David is saying, spiritually, mentally, I feel like I'm in this chaotic storm and there is no light, there is no hope. I don't know how to get out of it. $125 trillion, one million soldiers cannot save David from feeling that way. Miry bog. What is a miry bog? It's, like, it's a very slippery mud. Myri Bach means, David says, I can't rely on anyone. That's what it means. I want to rely on someone, but there's no one that I can rely on. Not my money, not my servant, not my wives, not my children. Nothing. I can't rely on anyone. So I'm in a chaotic state. There is no hope, and I can't rely on anyone. That's what David is right now. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt that you're in a destructive pit, a miry bog where you can't rely on anyone? I was there this week. Oh, man. Like, when I started the series on anxiety, I was praying at like 1.2am in my basement, and I got a feeling, like three weeks ago, I go, uh-oh, something's going something's gonna to come. And I was right. The devil threw things a lot at me for the last three weeks. Last week was the worst. Two major catastrophic things happened at work. One my fault, one... I think both were kind of my fault, I guess. Client was accusing me of improprieties. Right? I, 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 I upset an important CEO of, of one of my major clients. These things happened back to back, simultaneously. Not only that, my, I heard news from my mom last Wednesday that, that my dad and my mom, they're going through something next week. And it isn't a Mickey Mouse type of ordeal that they're going through. It is a very serious thing that they're going through. Chaos at work, chaos at home. I was in a miry pit. I was in a destructive pit. I couldn't hold on. I couldn't rely on anyone. Have you been there? Have you been there? Maybe, I don't know, you're the girl that you liked says she doesn't like you no more and you are in a destructive pit. Maybe the job you thought you were going to get ghosted you and maybe you're, that's why you're in a destructive pit. Maybe you have health issues. I don't know. But we all go through it. What does David do? What does David do when he's in a miry pit? a miry bog in a destructive pit. 
says David just waited and cried. He just sat and he cried towards the Lord. David trying to David didn't do trying to do things. David trying to didn't try to take matters into his own hands. He just sat and he cried. A quote to John Piper. This is why God loved David so much. Because David cried to him a lot. Whenever David went through things, he just waited for the Lord and he cried towards the Lord. The psalm is full of David's cries to the Lord. I know what that feels like this week. Usually my prayers are very confident and bold. You are God, I say. You are the sovereign God. You are omnipotent. You control all things, right? Salvation belongs to you. You will will fight, fight my enemies against me. Normally my prayers are long and confident. When I listen to my prayers, I go, wow, this is a good prayer. This week, all I could do was say, I think I'm going to die. I think I'm going to die. I don't know what to do. It wasn't passionate. It wasn't long. It wasn't anything. It was just, it it was just helpless. The Lord loves those who cry to him. When the Lord allows you to go through things, it isn't because he wants you to do something. It is because you want, he wants you to cry to him. And your cries, maybe, it's not a, maybe your cries are not theologically you know, correct cries. It's just a cry. But you cry towards him. The Lord uses people who cry to him to do mighty things. Did you know that? The Lord has no use for self-sufficient people. (sighs) Young Christians full of passion. Little knowledge but full of passion. I can do things for God. God doesn't want you to do anything from Him as much as He wants you to cry to Him. Are you going through something right now? Are you in a destructive pit right now? Simply cry in the direction of the Lord. You know what the Lord does? He turns it around. He turned David's heart around, did he not? Verse 2, is it? Verse 2. Oh, look at this. There's a Bible printout right here. I didn't know that. When did this happen? Verse 2. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of a miry bog, set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. What does he say? The Lord drew him from the destructive pit. David is falling. The Lord reached out. He drew him up from the miry, destructive pit out of the miry bog 
and set his feet upon a rock. What does it mean? What does it mean in the Psalms when he says, the Lord set his feet upon a rock? It means the Lord placed them in a mindset where he is reminded, where, where David is reminded of the presence and the power of God. When w- w- the rock symbolizes the might of God, right? So when the Lord drew him out and placed him on a rock, it means the Lord reminded him, worked out in David's mind and heart, and reminded him that the Lord is sovereign, the Lord is powerful, the Lord is with him. It is when David realized the power and the presence of God in his life, the deliverance of God in his life. Verse 3, David's heart was filled with new songs. Those who cried towards the Lord, even in your weak cries, I promise you, He delivers. He delivers. Monday, sun, Monday through Friday, I was in a destructive pit. I was in a miry bog. But the Lord delivered me. How did He deliver me? He started solving the problems. He did. He started solving the problem. Not only that, he made me preach out of Psalm 40. Preaching, preparing this sermon was therapy for me because it reminded me of who God was. Being reminded of who God was set my heart on a rock. What comforted me? Small group on Friday. We didn't talk much about the Bible, right? But we just shared in the fellowship of the, of the people. Once again, reminded my heart of who he was and what he is doing in our church. Because we were sharing about what is happening in our small groups and few people who gave answers to what is happening in their small groups was a perfect example of what ought to happen in small group. People, their minds are being changed. Their understanding of God is being deepened. They're bearing fruits. I go, when I saw that, I go, oh, God is alive. He delivered me because of small group. He answered my prayers by solving my problems. He reminded me of who he was through his word. And the people of God reminded me that I am not alone, that God is with our church. Those things took me out of the pit and set my feet upon a rock. That is how you are set up. That is how you have your foot set upon a rock. By being reminded of the power and the presence and the reality of God. God helps. God delivers those who cry to him. He really does. Like, remember a couple of weeks ago, I visited this hospital. Like one of, the, one of our like, congregation's daughter was sick. And like, she was like she had pneumonia. And Pastor Eugene and I went there and we prayed for her. And after we, and, and the moment we, we went there, we, after we prayed for her, she was getting better. And that was an amazing, miracle, miraculous story. But the miracle continued. The next day, like the mom texted me and she said, there's another girl here, right? Not her daughter, another girl here. She's going through bad stuff, but her insurance, we're not sure whether her, her insurance is not willing to cover this. She needs to find insurance to cover this. Otherwise, they can't give her the treatment. Can you pray for her? I didn't know that little girl. I haven't met that little girl. So I prayed. 
And that later that day, the, like you know, our congregant texted me back, it's a miracle. God provided them with an insurance and that girl can get treated. God used my prayers to let me see that he delivered this girl that I do not know. Those who cry to him, those who wait on him, and those who cry to him, the Lord does not sit still. He delivers. He may not take the problem away right away, but he surely changes your perspective on things where you will be confident. The reason why you, the reason why troubles seems to corrode your heart is because you're not crying to the Lord. You are not crying towards his direction. You're not crying towards his direction. Cry towards his direction. The Lord will deliver you. When the Lord delivered David, what happens? A few things happen. Number three, verse 3. He put a new song in my mouth, a sing of praise to our God. What is a new song that David is talking about? David is talking about a type of singing, a type of praising that only those who have been delivered by God can sing. When the Lord delivers you, your heart is filled with joy and, 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 and this desire to praise Him. That's the kind of song that David is talking about. A, a praising that only those who have been delivered by the Lord can sing. Even the old Christian song that you, set, you sang a million times, when, the Lord, when you experience the Lord's delivery you, those songs can become new songs. For example, on some, certain Sundays you come and we sing that song. When I think about the Lord... How he fills me. And in the back of your mind, you're thinking, what am I going to have for lunch? I wonder how my team's going to do today. How he filled me with the Holy Ghost. How he saved me to the uttermost. Man, did I I leave leave the stove on? When you're singing, when your mouth is moving, there's certain things that your heart is not into it. You know that's true. But when you experience the Lord's deliverance, You really mean it when you say, when you think about the Lord, how He saved you, how He came to your rescue, your heart really wants to shout, hallelujah, praise the Lord. The song that you have sang so often will bring new meaning when you experience His deliverance. David can be thankful in the midst of the most difficult time in his life. David can be thankful because he has experienced the Lord's deliverance. What else did David realize in verse 4? Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the the proud, to those who, who go astray after a lie. David says, after the Lord delivered me, I realized this. I realized I shouldn't trust in men especially men who chase after lies, which means unbelievers. Unbelievers are the ones who chase after lies. After going through his ordeal, after experiencing the Lord's deliverance, David realized, oh man, I can't trust in men no more. I'm going to trust in God. 
And ladies and gentlemen, that's exactly one of the main reasons of why God is allowing you to go through your trials. God allows you to go through your trials so that you will no longer rely upon like men. You, will no, you no longer rely upon these things that you once relied on. Hebrews chapter 12, it says, God disciplines those who, who he loves. God disciplines his children. And it says, discipline is not pleasant. You know why discipline is not pleasant? You know why the Lord's discipline is not ple- pleasant? It's because if the Lord loves you, he will let you go through trials, and he's going to remove things that you, could tr- that you always trusted in. Did you know that? The most painful trials of your life is, is he is going to move things that you relied on. And I was never unemployed before. But the first unemployment that I got was hard. Why? Because it is those, because without me knowing it, like when I was starting out as a lawyer, I trusted my law firm's ability to provide for me more than God. And God said, oh yeah? So he takes that away. Oh man, that hurt. The thing that you rely on, the thing that you think that makes you so invincible and strong, and that, that you, the thing that you rely on as a sort of a shield from life's pain, if the Lord loves you, he's going to take it away. Why? So that you will know the only person that you could truly trust is him. That's what David realized. He has wise counselors among him. He's a king. He has wise counselors, wise prophets. He has a million soldiers under his belt. But through this ordeal, David realized, I cannot put my trust in any of them. I, trust my, I, I put my trust in God. That's one of the major reasons for trials. So that you will trust him. Do you trust in your husband more than anything else? I'm not saying he's going to take away your husband, no. But he's going to let you go through these things where you will begin to see your husband, as great as he is, is not as strong as you think he is. He's going to make your husband weak in your eyes. Do you trust in the love of your wife? He's not going to take your wife away from you, the Lord willing. But he's going to make you see things where you will realize that her love is not as reliable as you once thought it was. These things are painful. But the Lord allows you to go through them because you will will learn to trust in God. There is one thing to say that you trust God and a totally another thing for, to, to live out that reality, right? If I say, hey, do you trust God? Hey, young man, do you trust God? You say, yeah, sure, I trust God. But the way we live is very contrary to what we say that we, we believe in. True trust in God is born out of trials and hardships. That's what David's realizing. And there are other things that happen to David that's the duration of the psalm, right? Like after the duration, after 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 going through all these things, there there's there's like three major convictions that David had. The first conviction, verse five, 
Many, Lord my God, are the wonders you have done, the things you have planned for us. None can compare with you. Were I to speak and tell of your deeds, there would be too many to declare. The first, one of the first convictions that David got after being delivered from the Lord is David started to realize the awesomeness and the sovereignty of God. He realized that God is a God of wonder and power and there is no one who can compare it to him. David began to be convicted of this as he was delivered from his trials. What's another thing? What's another conviction that David experienced? Verses 8 through, verses 11 through 13. As for you, Lord, you will, not, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steath... No, that's not what it is. Oh, okay, yeah, that's right. Um, uh, as for you, O Lord, you will not restrain from me, um, mercy from me. Your steadfast love, your faithfulness will ever preserve me. For evils have encompassed me beyond my number. My inequities have over, overtaken me. I cannot see. They are more than hairs on my head. My heart fails me. Be pleased, Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. What these verses are telling us is this. Troubles are not just, troubles just didn't come once for David. They continually to come. But because God delivered David out of this particular incident, David become more confident in the fact that even though trials may come, even though he may have enemies, that the Lord will still protect him. The confidence of the fact that the Lord will protect him in future trials, that was born out of this trial that he had to go through right now. There's one thing to say that the Lord will take care of me. But there's another thing to be convicted of this truth. David was convicted of the truth that the Lord will take care of him because the Lord, take, the Lord delivered, out of, delivered him out of this particular trial. I have no idea. I, I, every day I ask God, why are, you, why are you giving me this firm job? Why in the world have you placed me in this place where all I do is work, where I go through stress and trials? Why do you put me in this place? I think one of the main reasons why I did so is because I see him actively move in, the, in my workplace. He helps me really with my cases. He really does help me with my cases. He really does help me with my problems. And going through the stressful firm, experiencing the Lord's deliverance, makes me confident that He will continually deliver me in future trials. I needed to be in this firm. I needed to be in this stressful environment so that I could see Him at work. When I see him at work, I have confidence that he's going to take care of me in the future. It is one thing to say the Lord will take care of me. It's another thing to believe it. And the only way that you will believe it is through going through these individual trials. Do you get me? David went through this trial. He experienced the Lord's deliverance. That gave him future confidence, confidence for future trials. What is, what, what is another thing that, that David was convicted of? He was convicted to obey God's will and proclaim his name. That's verses 8 through 10. Verses 8, I desire to do your will, my God. Your law is within my heart. I proclaim your salvation-saving acts in the great assembly. I do not see in my lips, O Lord. So what is happening? When the Lord delivers David, David starts to see the sovereignty of God. 
David starts to see the protection of God. When you see the sovereignty and the protection of God, what, does, what happens to you? You will want to do the will of God. It's weird. That's how it works. These convictions, the ability to see the sovereignty of God, the ability to truly be persuaded that God will protect you and provide for you, truly believing in that, and the desire to do His will can only come when you go through trials. It's weird, but that's true. Human beings, right? Human beings, right? Human beings. If God tells you to do this, okay, this is what it is. This is what you need to do. This is how you, how you need to live. Just merely instructing you how to live will not convince you of anything. You need to be persuaded. You need to be shown that everything in the Bible is true and living in accordance to a will is true. You need to be personally persuaded by that. You need to be personally shown that this is right. And the only way that you be personally shown and be personally persuaded to look at God in a certain way and to follow His will is for you to go through trials. Because we're so prideful. Because we think our thinking is right. God has to do a work in us to show that, his, that, that what he says is true. And the best example is Joseph, right? Jacob and, Jacob and Joseph. This is from Tim Keller, by the way. Jacob was the father of Joseph and his 11 brothers, right? Joseph, Jacob was a bad parent because he, he favored Joseph over all the other sons, right? You know, when you ask, who's your favorite, you know, will say, the politically correct thing is to say, I love all my kids equally. Not Jacob. I love Joseph more. I give more, bless, and I give more presents to Joseph. Jacob, jo- Jacob loved Joseph more. And that was ruining the family. His other brothers got jealous of him. What happened? To, what did they get jealous? They, 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 you know, they, they put Joseph in a well, right, and sold him to slavery. Brothers sold another brother into slavery. Why? Because Jacob was a bad dad. Now the question that Keller asked us is, why couldn't just God send an angel right, to Jacob and say, Jacob, you're being an idiot. You're messing up your son. Stop spoiling Joseph. Be a more fair parent. Why didn't God just send an angel to instruct J- Jacob to do the right thing? Why did Jacob have to experience the death of his son? Why does, his, why does Dave, Jacob have to experience all this evil that has happened with his family? If the angel can just simply come and instruct him not to do it. Keller says, because that's not how the human heart works. Human heart needs to be persuaded and shifted and changed. And the way it shifts and change, changes is through trial. Is through pain. If there's a secret to my passion, I suppose, it's because I, there's, there are things, there are major pains in my life that God used to persuade me that He is true. That's the purpose of the, all this conviction, 
that he is sovereign. Conviction that he will take care of you. Conviction that he will deliver you. Conviction that what he says is true. These things happen as you go through trials. Whatever your trials are right now, he's allowing you to go through these things. He has designed them and he's allowing you to go through them so that you'll be convicted of these things. The thing about David is this. His trial just didn't end in this trial, right? David had so many other trials in his life, right? King Saul wanted to kill him. His enemies wanted to kill him. He was constantly on the run. His own son wanted the throne, and he, he was on the run. He was on the run because his son wanted him dead. It's like Caleb wanted my house, and he wants me dead, so Caleb's coming after me, Right? But that son died trying to chase after David. And David starts crying because he lost his son. There are trials that he went through because of other forces. There are trials that he went through because of his own doing. Remember Bathsheba? He saw a woman, another man's wife, bathing. He was so in love with her that he had her husband murdered in the battlefield. Remember that little incident? David one day wanted to know how, many, how, much, how big was his army was. So he took a census. Lord said, don't do it. But he says, I want to know how many, how, like how, many, how many men I have. So he took a census. And because David took a census, because David took a census, because he wanted to like rely upon the army of men rather than God, right? Because of what he did, God killed 70,000 Israelites because of David. Life of David was not easy. $125 trillion and a million soldiers did not absolve, exempt him from all this pain. But every pain that he went through, whether it was his doing or someone else's doing, God restored him and delivered him. And that is the story of every Christian. You think, your, you think your pain right now is the, end, is the final pain and you're not going to have no more pain ever again? No, that's not true. You're going to have trials until the day you die. What an uplifting sermon. You think your, 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 like your loneliness is going to be over when you find that special someone? No, you're going to be lonely again. You think your, 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 your problems are going to be solved when you have that job? No, there are more troubles to come, as anyone with a job will tell you. It's a never-ending trial, life. But what I promise you is this. If you are a child of God, all those trials, God will deliver you, and all those trials, God will, God will make you, use them to convict you of who He is. That I can promise you. And then one day, after we live our lives here, we will finally go before him where there will be no more trials. We will go before him and he will say, well done, my servant. And when we go before him, 
we will, we will able to go before him because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. If Jesus Christ has purchased you, if Jesus Christ has made you righteous, when, God, when you go before God, God will open his arms and he will smile at you and say, well done. And when you look, up, when you look back on your life in his presence, you will see every trial was necessary for you so that you will know him. And that day, you will praise him for all the trials. You will praise him for all the pain. Because you will see that it was absolutely necessary for you to go through these things. My father is in a rough spot right now. And as his son, I'm very helpless. I can't do anything. My father's 80, and he's he's the trial of his life. And yesterday morning, last evening, or what, what 2, 2.30 early morning this morning, I was crying, and I said, I don't know what to do. But this morning, I woke up with a confidence that regardless of what happens to him, his life isn't over here. There's glory waiting for him. Though he may go through difficulty right now, there is glory waiting for him. And that filled my heart with such thanksgiving and praise. The difficulties that you go through can be a source of thanksgiving when you know these things God will use to make his name great in your mind. Praise God for the pain cry towards him. He will reveal himself to you. He will set your feet upon his rock. He will give you a new song to sing. He really will. Cry towards his direction. Let us pray. Do you have a heart of thanksgiving because you are delivered? Do you know that you have been delivered from sin and death into his wonderful light? Despite what is happening to you now, do you know at the core of your heart that you are saved in Christ and that glory is waiting for you at the end of this life? If you do praise him, let's remind ourselves of that amazing grace and mercy. If you don't know that you have been delivered, which is evidence of the fact that you don't don't give thanks to God, ask the Lord to deliver you from sin and darkness into his wonderful light. Ask the Lord to convict your heart of your sins but most importantly, convict your heart of his forgiveness and mercy so that you will experience his delivering power over your life. Are there there things in your life right now that are making you cry? Things in your life that is very difficult, that that makes you feel like you're in a destructive pit, in a miry bog. 
pride towards his direction. The Lord will deliver you. He really will. Cry towards his direction. For these things, let's pray and we'll continue our service. Father, we praise you for delivering us. Father, though this life will be full of incidences of trials and heartache, though this life may be filled with moments where we think we're going to die, ultimately we will not. Ultimately, Father, glory is waiting for us because Jesus Christ purchased us for himself. David felt like he was falling in a pit of destruction, and yet you have delivered David. Jesus Christ was falling into a pit of destruction, but you did not rescue him. You did not rescue your son because through his death that we are purchased and we are yours, and because he has died for us and resurrected for us. Glory is waiting for us. Remind us of this, Lord, when we go through trials. Though this life may have pain, this life is a short visit, what is waiting for us is glory. May that hope give us the ability to turn to you when we go through pain. Are there those of us who are here who have never experienced your deliverance? Are there those of us here who are never really convicted of our sins and convicted of your saving work? I pray for them that you will convict them properly. May they experience the true joy and thanksgiving in knowing that they have been delivered in Christ. There are those of us, Lord, who are going through difficulties where the only thing they can do is cry. Allow them to cry in your direction. As they cry in your direction, deliver them out of their destructive pits. Deliver them out of their miry bog. Set their feet upon the rock of your presence and your power. Do not leave, leave them where they are. Come hastily, come to their rescue. Through the trials that we go through, convict us of your power. Convict us, Lord, that no, there's no one worth trusting but you and you alone. Convict us, Lord, that you will provide for us. Convict us that you, are, you will continue to deliver us. Convict us to do your will. Use our trials to make these convictions happen. Father, you love embrace. You love us. And because you love us, you discipline us. May we bear fruit in your discipline. All these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.